Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Today, I thought I would talk a bit about um, a question that I got on uh, my YouTube channel, actually. Um, I can't remember if it was YouTube or if it was on Discord, but it was a a question I got from somebody about um, managing campaigns, about kind of, you know, just the the logistics of uh, managing uh, the amount of campaigns that I kind of have ongoing at the time. Uh, So I thought I would talk about... um, my strategy to uh, how I, I prepare those, you know, how I kind of keep the different games in my head and, and so forth. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about is just sort of the the busy work of um, keeping things moving. So this is going to be definitely more geared towards DMs or GMs uh, than, say, uh, why I'm, to be honest, I don't know if I ever do player-focused episodes. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, that's what we're talking about today. So, at the time of recording, I've got about five or six different um, campaigns on the go. Um, I don't have any uh, open table sessions anymore because those are challenging. But I do have a special one-shot coming up uh, this coming Friday at the at the time of recording. Um, it's the one I mentioned in the last session, or last session, last uh, episode, about the October faction uh, one-shot. So, I got character sheets together for that. I got the characters. I know who my players are. I know the plot is. So... Just a matter of putting all that stuff together. So, um, I guess the one thing I will say is like a, a guiding principle I have for all of my preparation for the games. And the games that I run uh, right now are, uh, let's see here, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea every second uh, Saturday. Uh, alternate Saturdays, we run Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, on Sundays, we alternate. We're doing quarterly games, so we're all rotating games through that. But right now, it is Modern Age on uh, Sunday, and then the alternate Sunday is Zweihander uh, currently. And the let's see here. What on during the week? Uh, I run um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition in our Night Below campaign. So, what I um, each of those games requires a different kind of. Uh, preparation to a degree. I mean, but broadly speaking, there's two different types. There's the more plot-focused ones, and there is the more sandboxy kind of ones. For the sandboxy ones, it's more a matter of preparing uh, the set-piece uh, encounters that they may, in, and whether that's combat or role-playing or whatever. Uh, but those are maybe about 50% of what's going on in the campaign nowadays, and the rest are uh, random encounters. Random encounters can't prep for apart from... I mean, you can. That's not true. I, I've taken to rolling them up beforehand and having them written down. But to be honest, it doesn't take all that much longer to just get that ready uh, at the table and throw and then, you know, put a battle mat down, put some tokens down, and then have a have yourself a good old random encounter. Um, the, uh, the, the setup I use for all of my games as well, too, is uh, roll 20. Uh, so all of my games are running that way, which means the character sheets need to be ready, which means... Uh, what I don't use, though, is uh, monster sheets in it. I, I keep track of monsters the traditional way with a scratch pad or, or whatever. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll set up adversaries with a token bar uh, that I can let the players see. They can't see the numbers, but they can see the red as it goes down. Now, you know, purest, uh, you know, theater of the mind players may find that to be um, a little too World of Warcrafty or a little too Diablo-y, but to be honest, I mean, like... In theater of the mind, you end up bending over backwards to provide a description or a narrative. Uh, if all you're doing is narrative, to, to explain the, that situation, so I just don't see the point of 
I can do the narrative flourish and whatnot and do the impact of like uh, watching the, the bar go down and there, it, there's very, you know, it's, it makes for a, a really satisfying experience when you get the big description of the big hit and then you hit the nah, the modifier and then you, you know, to subtract the hit points of the bar, you hit the enter, the bar goes down and the whole party is like, yes! <laughs> so it's pretty great. Um, but um, that, and, and Roll20 is, is pretty easy to work once you actually, once you get used to sort of where things are. So I find it very um, easy to make stuff on the fly uh, when I need to, which is no different than like setting up a battle map in a real, in an actual person uh, game. Uh, the difference being is that, you know, I guess you can prep those ahead of time. And when I have set piece combat encounters, like uh, our last session of uh, Night Below, the, the guys uh, base found a goblin stronghold and they were uh, assaulting it. And I had set up that map. I'd drawn it the night or the week before I'd set up a dynamic lighting and I'd done all that stuff. So, oh, I'm already getting lost in the weeds here talking about what specific I'm doing. What I'm, so let's take a step back and talk about broadly speaking. So the, 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 I think the, the thing that I rely on the most is a matter of, you can think of it as triage or you can think of it as, uh, prioritizing, um, triage in the sense that what's the thing that immediately needs my attention. So when I'm thinking about, when I find myself with some free time, I am turning my mind to the game that most needs my attention. Now, let me rephrase that. What I should be doing is turning my mind to to what needs my most attention. What often happens is I fuck around with some other game that I just got, and uh, then I find myself scrambling to get stuff ready for the last, uh, for the next uh, session. But what I... um, what I've taken to doing is in the sandbox ones, that's the kind of prep that's required, setting up maps, you know, having set-piece encounters ready. And then I mentioned the second kind is the story-based or the plot-based. Those ones require that I know what plot points are hitting, like what's happening in that scene, what scenes are we hitting. And I'm not dictating the outcome of the scenes necessarily, but what I want to know is sort of what is the logical process of how where I think these guys are going to go. And I often don't over prepare like I tend to run games that do not require an extraordinary amount of um, uh, like uh, it basically uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is I don't really I, I well not really I very rarely run games specifically as written um, and the reason is because I, I just don't care like what the game for me is uh, a means of facilitating a really fun experience with some friends um, it is not an exercise to try and run the game uh, with as much fidelity to the rules as I can. I mean, regular listeners of the podcast will know that's that's you know that's my perspective on things. I have absolutely no problem with changing shit on the fly. Partly because I don't find that the rules are sacrosanct uh, for any reason, and also partly because I like I just as play tested as rules can be, it's they weren't play tested at my table, so I'm going to change shit if I need to. Because of that. And because I tend to change stuff, um, uh, then what I end up doing is relatively minor prep in terms of like writing up specific sheets and things like that. I, I a lot of the games that I've been running lately, I'm, I have the good fortune that they're so well designed that I can run them out of the book in most cases. So, you know, for instance, um, Pathfinder Second, I find Pathfinder Second very easy to run directly out of the uh, Beastie Uh, I I can open that sucker up and uh, I can just 
when I've got my encounters, I can run things directly out of there. Same thing with Starfinder. Starfinder, I find it's very easy to just do that or to reskin stuff on the fly. Um, it's both games, while they are fairly mechanically complex, um, the layout for those two books are great. Pathfinder 2 is better because it incorporates pretty much everything. All the rules are there on that one page. Starfinder is like Pathfinder 1 where you do need to go digging sometimes for some specific monster rules, but um, you know, the uh, it's it's still, Starfinder is certainly a lot better than Pathfinder 1 uh, in terms of uh, utility at the table. Um, and that's pretty much the case for most games I run, and I, I recently uh, have picked up a new little trick where in uh, Zweihander, uh, the, the publisher has put out a sheet that has just the traits for monsters on it. And I wish I had fucking thought of that before, that I would just print those things off for the relevant monsters that I'm going to include. I'm planning on running Pathfinder 1 again uh, later this year, and I'm going to do that when I run that, is rather than having to you know, try and memorize some stuff for specific monster rules, I'm going to create myself a little handout that has all of those things on it, so I just need to look at that to refresh my memory as to what the specific rules for, like, constrict and, you know, whatever, swallow are. Um, so, uh, so that's the kind of... Um, the two different kinds kinds of games. Um, assuming it's not a first session, well, first session is going to require a lot of anticipating what your players are going to do, um, and is, it will likely require a lot of improv at the fly. But let, let's talk about ongoing campaigns, because that's the, what the, the question was about. So for me, this week, um, my Mondays and Tuesdays are work-heavy days. I, I generally don't do a lot of gaming stuff on those days. Uh, just because my hours are all spent up uh, doing my day job. But, I mean, I'm always thinking about my games because I'm a big nerd. And what I'm thinking about this week is, all right, well, I last session of uh, half, uh, Pathfinder, of uh, Night Below, left our heroes pretty fucked up. Like, everyone was pretty banged up. Everyone's pretty wounded. Uh, what prep do I need to do for that game? Really none. I just need to see where the players are going to go. Uh, they, we've talked about what they're going to do, which is to retreat to uh, Harleton. So I just have to give some consideration to, like, well, do I want to, like, do a custom random encounter chart to reflect the uh, goblins pursuing these guys uh, after the goblins you know, fallout from the goblin stronghold, or I just want to let the dice fall where they may with the the set one. They're pretty banged up. They're missing a lot of their weapons. So, you know, I think the goblins do appear on the regular night below random encounter charts so I might just let things fall where they may um, if I do have a half hour or so before the session which is actually today I guess uh, then what I might do is roll um, weather I'll, I'll see what the weather's going to be like that day make sure I'm ready to keep recording stuff on the calendar and then otherwise it's just kind of see what happens at the table and, and respond to what the players are doing uh, I know what they're doing I might put some thought into uh, NPCs at Harlefson as well too because ha they have not been there which means I've not fleshed out. And that's maybe one of the applicable to everything rules here is I don't do anything unless I absolutely need it. You know, like when I was a kid, I would populate out uh, a shit ton of stuff. I'd have, you know, a whole town full of NPCs and I'd have a, you know, a map, an overland map with a bunch of different encounters and stuff on it. And that, there's nothing wrong. Like there is value that comes from having all that prep done. But what I compare that to is the amount of prep that is actually seeing the table versus what's being wasted. Um, um, I don't have time to do that right now. I don't have time to... to if uh, something is not likely to see the play at the table, it is a waste of my time because I could be spending it prepping something that 
is actually going to make it to the table. And I'm pretty ruthless about that. And what I also get is you get pretty comfortable um, improvising and responding and faking it as if you had prepared stuff. Um, that's just, you know, that's just a necessity at the table. And I don't think, I, you know, I... I will. I acknowledge to my players that there are times when I'll like I'll randomly introduce things, but they know that when something is randomly introduced or whatever, it becomes part of the overall story, and I will build story around that as well too. So if they, they random randomly encountered goblins at one point in our game. I um, uh, I introduced a uh, a story element because of that as well. Sorry about that. Uh, the uh, I thought I was getting an urgent message there, but it wasn't. It was just me hitting stop and start all over again. Um, so what other things here? That that's one thing. Is only what's absolutely necessary at the table. Um, a Friday session is my October faction one shot. I'm running for my buddy George, and well, for I mean for the whole group, but it's it's this is specifically written for George. Uh, it's really proud of him for getting that uh, uh, cool series out. Um, and yeah, so I'm with that one has required a great deal uh, more prep, not only for prepping the adventure, but prepping. I've come up with a custom set of rules to run this thing. I have created custom character sheets. I'm going to be uploading a bunch of stuff for um, image, like um, uh, image assets for the, the actual session. And I need to uh, hammer out the beats of what the the story is going to be in the one shot and then also I need to take a, a knife to it and cut out all the fat because it's a it's a one shot so it's going to be done in one which means I need to make sure that it's only the most important things that get uh, you know that that get taken care of in this session um, that's going to require a little bit of work uh, Saturday morning I have my Pathfinder uh, 2 session and I need to prep for that that one's going to require quite a bit of prep as well just because it's uh, it's a this is a first part of our first session of a new mini adventure, so a lot there's a lot of stuff to get in place for that. Uh, I just don't have time right now to turn my mind to that. And honestly, I I've got I've been I had given some thought to, to what that was going to be about, what the story was going to be about two weeks ago. So I've got some ideas down for it. It's just a matter of, of formalizing those. And I guess that's another thing to think of is uh, as a kind of a rule is uh, know what kind of prep you need to do at what time. You know, everyone's going to have different ways of prepping adventures, particularly if you're running, if you're writing your own or if you're running uh, something out of a, a pre-gen. You know, uh, pre-generated stuff like a, a module or an adventure or adventure path. Uh, I find sometimes those are, are more work for me than... Well, that's not true. It's just a different kind of work that I enjoy less. Uh, which is to try and memorize material and take notes and whatever else. And I don't mind doing that stuff, uh, but I much prefer seeing what comes together from my own imagination. You know, uh, I would much rather make up this stuff. What are you doing, dummy? Cheapers. Drivers in this city. Um, they, uh, the, <clears throat> yeah, so the prep that I, I need to do for, uh, for my, custom, you know, campaigns, uh, is I will, I have a rough idea of what I'm going to do. And when I say idea, I mean like, you know, um, I want to use X in Y setting, or I want to use X with Y plot, but I don't know anything more about it. 
I'll let it noodle around for a bit, and then I will take notes over between the time of the first idea and then when I'm getting it to the actual table, which are often post-it notes, and then I keep hammering that out into the list of, until I've got a rough, like a, a much more clear outline of what that adventure or story or whatever it's going to be about, then I will see if there are twists I can put into it. As long as it's not a time-restricted thing, I'll see if there's stuff I can do to make it more interesting. So to inject something different so it feels more, you know, it's, especially for an ongoing campaign, it's there's a reason that comics never have a, f- a perfect resolution is because they always want to have you coming back. And same thing with ongoing campaigns. I want to always have something, some other complicating factor that's going on in there, um, be it to introduce a new... Uh, aspect of the world, you know, world building through encounters, or whether it's a new plot point or whatever. Um, the so that's what I'm going to do, and then I will sit down and I'll make a list of the things I need for it. What do I need? Do I need stats for certain things? Do I need tokens or images for certain things? Do I need um, maps? You know, what are, what are the maps I'm going to use for for the specific uh, game encounter or whatever? Um, so so that's the. the the nitty-gritty, I guess, for me, for when it's a custom thing, when it's a pre-made thing, it's really a matter of me reading the thing over thoroughly once, and then I'll skim it a couple other times, and then I'll sometimes I'll take notes to uh, to flush it out. But um, I'm not a very good DM at running pre-gen adventures because I tend to get I tend to once I've committed this stuff to memory, I'll make it my own anyway. Uh, and I'm always more concerned about what happens at the table than I am at what was supposed to happen based on the, um, holy smokes. Yeah. Turn across three lanes of traffic, buddy. Outstanding. Um, then what was supposed to happen in the, uh, in the adventure. So in terms of what, you know, that looks like in the lead up, you know, um, what I will, so I'm, I'm on the, today I've got a, a session uh, tonight, but I know I'm ready for it. I've, I've, it's going to be a matter of seeing where the players go. I don't need them to fill in for me what, you know, specific town. I have a rough idea. And if they change their mind on the day of, they change their mind when they get there, it's fine. AD&D is very easy to, to, to rework on the fly. I know what I've done beforehand is I have worked out my setting. Um, oh, one thing I do need to do is add some names to trainers. Uh, I imagine what the players will be doing, they get back to civilization. There's the nearest town is one where they want to convalesce, and then from there, they're going to make their way back to the kind of like quest hub that they, of the region, this place called Melbourne. And from there, they're going to probably want to, they, well, they may want to take some time to go and do training. I don't know that for sure, but I think maybe. And if they do go for training, uh, then I, I need to have the names of the NPCs and some ideas of what you know, kind of what they want. What do these NPCs want out of it beyond just uh, GP? Because I do want them to have some kind of... I'm not, not going to have them be like World of Warcraft-style, you know, quest givers uh, necessarily, but I, I do want them to have... to be something more than just a, like, show up, pay for training, you know, um, NPC. I want them to be a, a thing or a character that the players actually want to interact with and, and you know, become invested in. So I got to do that before I may all spare some thought for that uh, this afternoon. Um, and then um, f- what I need to do for my 
uh, October faction game is much more substantial. So with that in mind, what I need to do is I've already decided um, this week is quite busy for me at work, but I need to get this work done for the prep done for uh, October faction or it's not going to be able to run. So I, um, what I'm going to do tonight is finish uh, up all the characters. I'm going to finish up all the pre-gen characters. So at least that's done getting together an actual roll 20 game and uh, setting up all the tokens and whatnot. That's much, much easier setting out the plot points and whatnot for an adventure. For me, that's, that's much easier than say the nitty gritty of laying out all the different details, make sure there's no typos and things like that. In this particular campaign, I'm trying some new stuff with uh, some new uh, game mechanics too. So we're going to see how this, uh, how it works out, but I, I think it'll be fun. Um, but that requires me some, uh, you know, leaving me the option of potentially revising stuff on Thursday night or Friday afternoon uh, if uh, I've come to the conclusion that, oh, shit, this is actually a, a, not a good idea. Um, and then for, so, oh, boy, for Saturdays, I need to do everything. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be up fairly late on Friday night uh, finishing the... Well, what, that's not true. What I'll do is between now and then is I will spare... Once I've got the character sheets together for... Um, October Faction, probably tomorrow what I'll do is I'll, I'll spare a half hour and I'll hammer out what is going to happen in the uh, in the Pathfinder 2 game. Um, what the, and all I, for that one, I'm not planning out the whole campaign arc. I got a rough idea of what that is. All I need to know is what's going to happen in the three hours of that session. I know we're introducing characters. I know I'm opening with a pretty big um, cold open action uh, piece. I know that I'm gonna. I want to introduce the investigation that's going to take up the bulk of the adventure, and then maybe we'll start getting them into the actual investigation. We'll see. Uh, combat does take a while, and I want to let the characters have an opportunity to, or the players have to have an opportunity to kind of let the characters breathe, get a, a sense of who these characters are, and see how they play off each other. So we're we're going to do that as well. Um, so that means it's going to be relatively easy to uh, design. There's going to be a little bit of uh, game thought in terms of designing balanced encounters for uh, Pathfinder 2. Um, but it's, you know, um, that's, that's going to be a relatively easy thing to, to put together. So I don't need to have the specific monsters, the specific things. I got a rough idea of what I might want to use. I just going to have to see what, what, where it fits in the CR and how many can fit in there. And then to see what other kind of last minute ideas I have, because that's one thing I, I would, I cannot recommend enough is the last hour before, or the last couple of hours before the game session, definitely allow yourself to introduce new stuff. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've come up with a real gem of a of a element for an adventure or for a session that I only thought of when I was walking the dog before I was for the session, and that was what made the session really memorable. It's that last little bit of X factor when your brains transition from like the plotting, preparing, you know, whatever mode into the free form mode, getting in the nerves and whatnot of getting ready for, for the session. I always allow myself for uh, that. And sometimes, I mean, I allow full sessions to go like that, that, but that's only in campaigns where I have done the necessary legwork beforehand. I've set all that stuff. Now, one thing I'll say too, is that, you know, you don't have to, if you don't have something prepared, if you, if you find yourself out of time, you can still go less than perfect is better than not done. And if you need to take a moment to, uh, like, let's say I don't have time between now and, and the session, or I forget, you know, because I'll do that sometimes. 
<coughs> and I forget to get the names of the trainers. Well, I'll grab my name generator book, you know, either Xanthar's Guide or uh, one of the other books that has the random names in it, and I'll roll the name. It doesn't matter. I'll have some ideas of what the character, what the, what the NPC wants, and sometimes I'll just come up with on the fly what, what I think they want. And I don't necessarily know where it's going, but it's okay, you know, or even just a, a desire for what they want or what they might, you know, what rival they might have. Something to, to make it feel like they're part of that wider world that we're building, the secondary world. Um, players are very forgiving of this stuff. Like, it's not, you know, um, there, there are some players who may feel that, um, you know, the, the, that the game is only satisfying when it's completely immersive and it's completely written beforehand. Um, but even those completely written, completely beforehand things, unless it is rigidly on railroads, the DM's making up stuff and improvising stuff. But you just don't know they're doing that. So my players are all seasoned enough. Everyone's been a DM before or currently. So they let, it, they let me roll with, if I say like, oh shit, I don't know the name for this guy. Look, give me a second here. And I'll come up with it. They know two things. One, they doesn't matter. This character's no less important just because I, I happen to just give him a name. And two, it's going to have an important place in the ongoing campaign going forward because that's what happens. Once a character introduced or a plot element or whatnot is introduced, it takes the stage, that is part of the campaign. I write it down. It becomes part of my notes. And I'll refer back to it because when I'm, you know... Uh, I like keeping that uh, that believable bigger world. Um, that that's part of the credibility that comes both in my plot-based campaigns and my sandbox campaigns. Um, the plot-based campaigns is a little more important that you have the the names uh, for certain things set ahead of time. But even then, I've had plot-based campaigns where we've introduced a random character who 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 I had no way of thinking this character was going to be an important part of the overall campaign, but he he or she did. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of the, I guess the, the broad strokes, well, it's kind of a rambling mess of, of some of the ideas I have for preparation, but let me see if I can boil them down. So one of them is only prep what you need to, you know, if you do not need maps of a big city or you don't need maps of uh, six levels of a dungeon, you only, your players are only going to conceivably get to one, then only prep one, you know, only prep one neighborhood that you need, like don't prep more than what you need for the session. If you have time in between to do some of that build-up, that's fine. But if you're talking about keeping, uh, you know, what you absolutely need for that um, table, or uh, then then do it then. Do it. Uh, do only what is necessary and what is needed to make for a great session. Um, roll with improvisation. You know, um, allow yourself to uh, to. Well, I guess do the prep when you need when you know you need. Or I'm trying to phrase this in a better way. Fucking mush mouth today. What I mean is do the work when it needs to be done. You know, so if you parse out the, the preparation into different stages, let's say you're doing a pre-gen adventure, you know there's three different sequences that are going to happen in it. Maybe scenes, like one dungeon, one whatever else. Parse those out. Do one on one week or one, you know, one on one day during the week or read them all the week before, then go through and, and read each of them individually afterwards, taking your notes more carefully then. That allows you time to, to percolate too. It allows you time to get ideas for how to change it to fit your characters or also to respond to it based on what your characters are going to do. Um, keeping good notes is a key part of all of this stuff. Whether it's on uh, your phone, on your uh, laptop, on the scratch paper, on post-its like I do, um, keep that stuff with you uh, because uh, that will be 
very, very valuable. And even if you don't use this stuff, it's still there for you to use at a later point. And I find post-its are a lot easier to reorganize than uh, pieces of paper are. So that's why I like using post-its a lot. Um, and then I guess, what's the final one? Final one is, um, no, I don't know. I don't know what the final one is. Improvise, I guess. Be, be confident with improvisation. And the fake it till you make it uh, thing is, is a good phrase. It's not 100% on, uh, on point with, uh, with this kind of advice, but don't let your players know what's improvised, what's not. You know, um, and don't be, you know, yeah, don't be afraid if you genuinely need to. Don't be afraid of saying, look, I need a moment to think about this. Um, everyone will always be happy for a bathroom break or getting a new drink break or whatever. So if you need to take a moment, be like, okay, this went in a direction I did not anticipate. Let me just take a moment to think about this stuff. Because um, like, I've done that in uh, stream games where we've just taken a break to have. Uh, our, you know, mid-session bio break, either a little early or whatever. And then uh, I'll think about, like, fuck, what, what does this mean? How, what, what, how's this going to have a consequence going forward? And also, I mean, I guess one thing to bear in mind, too, with players is that this is, again, it's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It's not a whatever. There will be certain... There's certain streamers that, you know, it looks like that's the case. It looks like they're, they're just playing through an elaborately designed story. But that's... I, I'm certain that's not the case in most cases because it that robs for one it robs players of a lot of agency um, of dictating where the story goes and also um, you know it's it's players if you look in the message boards for any publishing co- any uh, tabletop gaming publishing company especially Paizo Paizo is really good for this because of their adventure paths if you want to see how far off script players will go even when there's an elaborately set script Take a look at the War Stories pages for any of their adventure paths. Players will never do what you necessarily expect them to do. You can plan for it and, and plan for contingencies, but sometimes players just do weird shit and things go off the rails and you can't get angry at them for it. They want to do what their characters want to do. Their characters are doing stuff that's wildly out of character and it is designed to just burn this the campaign down. Then yeah, that's something to get mad at. But if it's just them playing their characters and they're doing something or they interpreted stuff in a scene in a way that did that you didn't anticipate and they've responded to it in a way you didn't anticipate, well, you go with it. You know, and um, that's fine because at the end of the day, the game that's happening at the table, that's the game. And if the players are all having fun and if the players are all uh, engaged, then you're doing your job. So all you need to be willing to do is roll with the punches and not feel that there is a right or a wrong outcome. That's easier with stuff you've written than it is with, say, adventure paths, where there is a clear path that goes through it. So, so that's that. Um, yeah, that's. I, I guess that's my thought on uh, on how I do, or my thoughts on how I do prep and what kind of prep I, I that I actually you know do for my sessions. Um, I'll talk. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to touch on here. No, I mean that's you know um, when you're considering these these approaches or these things at your at your table, consider what kind of game you're running. Because it's probably gonna be a hybrid, right? It's probably gonna be a little bit of a sandboxy type thing where there's things the players can go out and encounter, and there's probably gonna be a script or story that's going through it as well too. So just consider what you know. What do you need? I guess the most important thing is what do you need for that next session? The type of campaign that you're running will tell you what you need to do, but that's all you need to think about. The the bigger picture will come. And you'll have the bigger picture in mind, but when you're talking about limited amount of time, um, 
spend that time on the things that will be necessary and be disciplined about it. Don't let yourself start reading, you know, the new thing that showed up in the mail. I speak from experience on this. Sit down and do the the work on the game that you need to have done and nothing more. If you have more time, awesome. Then fuss around with the other stuff that you might want to be fussing around with. But from the for to get yourself ready, to keep yourself ready to go, to have yourself prepped to to run that session every time you're at the table and to take some stress off of um, prepping. Do only what is necessary when it should be done. So anyway, with that in mind, I need to go and get some work done and uh, start thinking about let myself free associate for Friday session. So um, that's it for this segment. Okay, I guess that leads us to the regular now or now regular segment, uh, State of Play. So State of Play is where I talk about the state of the games that I'm running on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Um, currently, uh, let's see here, since our last uh, recording, or since we last met, um, I have run a really solid session of our AD&D 2nd Edition campaign, the Night Below uh, campaign that we're playing. This is the first one where I've really... Uh, well, actually, that's not true. I've been putting in quite a bit of extra work on, on this particular campaign. Uh, I, drew, I redrew the campaign map to incorporate a bunch of other stuff that I plan to, to use in the campaign um, uh, for, at least for the, the first third of the campaign. Um, so that has been a, a great deal of uh, fun. And then I, I also, last week, took a bunch of time to redraw a map uh, that I was, uh, I've, taken from another product that I'm using in this one uh, for, as a replacement for a, a, a part of the campaign. I'm, I'm, forgive me for sounding cagey, I just know that a lot of my players listen to the podcast as well, or at least enough of them, that I don't want to spoil the uh, the surprise for them, but uh, that was a lot of fun, and I tell you, that work really paid off for the session on Friday. We had basically like a four-hour uh, running fight with the, um, the players infiltrating uh, and assaulting this goblin stronghold and trying to figure out what's in there and and whatnot and uh, it's been it was a really fun session I mean it was tense it's scary for some of the players we had two near fatalities well we had one player go down below um, we're using the hovering at death door rules for AD and D second so you can uh, you don't die until you hit negative 10 hit points but we had one guy go down and we had uh, another that was uh at minus nine when things were were stabbed off, so it was pretty bad. And then as a result, we've got one player who is uh, currently uh, walking with a limp, uh, and we've got another one who is currently... Uh, what happened to him? Oh, his, his hand's all mass messed up. So his, um Yeah, so it's been a, a really... Uh, it, it was a really consequential uh, encounter. And then as well when they, the players were having their fighting withdrawal, they, they left behind most of their equipment, like most of their weaponry. The only thing that was, was for sure brought with them is this magical shield they had found on some orcs uh, in a previous session. So tonight's session is going to be picking up from that uh, with, uh, and actually like one, one of the players is for sure missing uh, tonight's session. But yeah, it is, um, boy, it was a really really fucking cool session like it really um I, the guys managed to down uh 21 hit dice worth of creatures 
uh, in it. So, and, and their first level. So it was really a, uh, you know, the, the players in the course of that initial encounter with them, uh, they really went kind of all out. You know, no one had any spells left. No one had, uh, um, yeah, just really fucking cool. Really, really cool game. A really cool uh, session. Um, and it just, it, yeah, I, I enjoy running that campaign so much. I enjoy doing work for it as well, too. Like, the, the putting the work in on that map to using it. And it's a black and white map right now. I haven't had a chance to add color to it. Uh, yet, but um, man, it was yeah, really, really fun. Totally worth the uh, the work that that went into it. Um, and then we also have, let's see here. So that was uh, Friday. Saturday was our what was Saturday? Saturday was our Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea game, and that game was a uh, let's see here what happened. Oh, the it was the start of the defense or the third siege of Iron Fang Keep. Our heroes had last session just made it back to their new stronghold, this this uh, castle. So to be honest, most of the session was spent talking about how to set up their defenses. You know, where do they want to put their army? Because they have close to like 70 um, uh, uh, mercenaries that they've got hired that they've... Uh, set up in the camp and, and we sort of figured out what their initial defense was so they set up all the characters there and um, because it's it's AD or not AD&D because it's an old school game we have all those tokens on the table you know like it's it's we're not worried about the speed of play with that many tokens it's they're all there and whoa some dude just cut me off um, the oh, go ahead go ahead buddy or don't whatever um, the what else happened the the um, the rest of the session, they, one of the player characters at random um, had an encounter with some other being that is calling itself the Stranger uh, that says it is below, and, and uh, they're going to have to figure out what that means. And um, there was a lot of discussion as to whether to do an assault on the, um, the stronghold or not. And it was... Um, yeah, it was. I, I intervened a little bit in that one just to interject the, the kind of the like logistics of the situation. The way that I had described where the enemy was setting up their camp was about 200 yards outside of the uh, the castle, and you know there was some talk about like, oh, we'll sneak out there and then we'll go in. As regular listeners will know, I'm using the uh, Wilderness Survival Guide uh, in that campaign, and that fortunately has neat things like you know, how far you can see in different conditions. And we had randomly generated the weather conditions that day. It was overcast, but overcast in, in uh, um, moonlight. Uh, still had a, a decent, it was like 25 yards you could still see, uh, even without dark vision and whatnot. So what it meant was that, like, there's um, the hill, the, the terrain surrounding this keep is all, you know, um, tundra plains or, like, boreal plains. So it's basically like a flat, smooth surface for 200 yards up to their camp. And I, you know, there was some talk about like, well, we can sneak away before they ever get to us and whatnot too. And it was the first day. And in my mind, I'd already sort of worked out what defenses that these guys would be having in place and what, you know, what they would set up in anticipation of a nighttime raid, especially for the first night. And one of the ways that was helpful to sort of communicate that to the players was um, by going to my uh, what do you call it? By going to the 
uh, uh, map and setting up a map that was 100 yards, so 300 feet long, and then saying, like, there's two of these between here and that, and then put the tokens down on it so they could see how far they had to go because it, it was already established that there was a ton of cavalry on this uh, in, the, in the army, and uh, to be honest, I'd had a previous campaign where players did this kind of stuff, and they were in a stronghold, and the enemies were elsewhere encamped, and the players decided to try and sneak out and then assault the stronghold and then make it back to their keep in time or their stronghold in time, and they were fucking picked apart. Uh, they, I, I was, I, it may not have been a TPK, but only because one of the players used like invisibility or something like that to, to try to escape it. But they were otherwise picked apart by um, kobolds actually mounted on dire weasels. Uh, so you know, with that reality in mind, I just wanted to make sure the players were clear about that, so then what they did, they decided to not go forward with that uh, uh, that attack, and uh, then they set up a defense uh, for the evening, um, and then, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, the enemy attacked at night. Only, um, so far, the only thing they're aware of is a small detachment of berserkers that they saw, but these berserkers wiped out uh, a couple of the uh, NPCs, a couple of the uh, hirelings that they had, just because they got uh, early attacks on them, all but one. There's one brave defender. Now, I did this thing where I made, I randomly generated names for each of them, and then assigned the player characters one for each of them, or players uh, one for each of them. And um, I, I don't know if I that was worthwhile. Uh, you know what my hope was was that they would get some attachment to these characters, and then hopefully you know sort of like live past the first encounter, and they'd be able to you know have these brave you know, five hit point guys standing up against these crazy berserkers. But the way it worked out is like my dice were on fire and I got a surprise round on them. So I basically wiped out half of them in the first thing with a volley of spears. And then the berserkers charged in and got initiative and and started kicking the shit out of these things. So it was not a great, it was a a bloodbath in the, in the first and first encounter. And then we sort of called it a session. So not a lot happened, but I mean, one of the players, at least one of the players had posted about how happy he was about with the, the old school planning and whatnot too. So that's great. I, I felt like it wasn't, um, I was worried that the players were feeling like, you know, like, well, fuck, we did nothing in this session, but that's, I'm glad that the, well, at least one of them felt that there was some tension with it. So that's, that's cool. Uh, and then on Sunday, 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 we had our next Zweihander session. And this was a uh, much more combat heavy than our previous sessions. And Zweihander is an, it's a really interesting game where um, what we found out in it's for those who aren't familiar, Zweihander is basically like a old school riff or a uh, retro clone of the um, Warhammer uh, first edition, uh, Warhammer Fantasy uh, roleplay first edition uh, RPG, and it's. Um, it's a different doc. Like it's really, it's a huge book, and the publisher is a very big personality with a very big presence on uh, social media, and uh, not always necessarily a, a positive uh, presence. Uh, I would say sometimes he's, he's his own worst enemy uh, in it. But um, but in any event, I mean, I can't fault anybody for promoting their their game. And to be honest, I, I like the game an awful lot. But I was really wanting to try and. With a game that size, and it's been through three editions, we kind of were like, well, the game is really, you know, um, I, I want to run the game as written because uh, to understand what the mechanics are and whatnot, but 
in the course of our session, it became apparent that there was quite a few kind of holes in the in the rules in terms of. I mean, like even like something is they've got an interesting action action point economy that is very similar to Pathfinder's, where you have a certain number of actions, and then different things you do can have different uh, action costs to it. But um, the yeah, so we had um, that one, and it became apparent like there's no rule for how much it costs to draw a weapon, you know, and there's no rule that says that you can draw a weapon for free, and there was no uh, there's a couple other things that were a little unclear in it. But when I talked to another buddy who has run a lot of Zweihander, he noted that, like, look, you know, the kind of the intent of the designer is to run it in a much more loose way. You know, that it's, not, it's you can really kind of house rule shit. And there's, I, I, I'm, me as the DM, I'm much happier with that because I'll do that with every game anyway. Um, some of my players are not, not really pleased with it, though. I mean, they, they, they're not pleased with the idea that, like, this massive, expensive game is not, you know, has not been play tested to the point where it's been revised to in, to address those those kind of holes that are in there. For me, I don't really care. I mean, I um, I like being able to come up with house rules for stuff anyway, and knowing that that's sort of how everyone runs the game, I'm totally satisfied. There's a lot of stuff that's optional in the in the game anyway, including like uh, some social combat rules, wilderness survival rules, some rules for reputation. Uh, so it's it's good to know that the assumption by the author is that you're going to make the game your own um and i'm really looking forward to doing that i did have once we kind of got our footing with the game there's a lot of moving parts in combat including like weapon traits and different actions that have come different sub mechanics to it and different other things that can trigger like resistances and dodges i'm not sure about how the default rules handle defenses right now because um and it may just be because I'm I'm not familiar with the um, with the way the defenses work, but I'm not crazy about with the way you do the defenses. I mentioned on a previous episode, you you roll against the same number that you do against uh, to attack. So it means like really skilled swordsmen will parry almost. It seems like a, well more often than not parry a lot of things, but um, but anyway, one thing that I did really really like about it is that your injury uh, track, like when you're when you're actually getting injured. Uh, it's actually called wound. So your wound track will not be as bad as the. Um, it doesn't inc- include a baked-in death spiral. Instead, what you've got is a. Um, you've got a potential to get injuries, which will give penalties, but you don't get penalties for just being, you know, hurt more often. What you do get penalties for is from this thing called peril, and peril is kind of the catch-all. You know, uh, non-lethal damage, um, wounds, and whatever, uh, or what, not wounds. Uh, uh, you know, um, poisons and and exhaustion and spell kind of backfire and whatnot. So it's pretty cool. I, I like that a lot. That there is one, and the reason I like it is because you can recover pretty quickly from the peril. Um, what I also really liked was um, how easy it was to kind of come up with uh, skill ways to incorporate skills in the course of these challenges. So that was pretty fun. Um, and I also liked, there was something else I was thinking of that I really did like a lot. Um, what did I like a lot? I don't remember. Let me pause here for a moment. I'll see if I can think of it.
Oh, I thought of what um, one of the other things I really liked was uh, the way that you contested roles in the game uh, is is interesting because it's it's got a an element that is familiar to me from other D100 games, like like a lot of other games. Uh, this is a a D100 one, so it's based on. Uh, you know, uh, the role of uh, uh, D100 to get success or fail. But it's got two interesting sub-mechanics, one of which I think might have been borrowed from Eclipse Phase, because that's the first time I saw that there. And that's the idea of flipping the result. Uh, so what you do is, if you rolled, uh, say, a 30, uh, that could be flipped to become an 03. And you have two different ways of having that interact. It's either flip to fail or flip to success. So it's basically like a way of incorporating a mechanic of advantage into one dice roll. And that's really clever. I like that a lot. Um, I also um, like the way the contested ones work. And the, re- the way that works is you um, you make your roll. And if you succeed, you take the tens digit. And then you have this thing called a bonus, which is a uh, comes from your different attributes. And the attributes... Um, basically, it's the tens digit of your attribute, and you can, over the course of you know experience or building your character at the beginning, you can bump those numbers up. So what ends up happening is you add whatever your tens digit was plus your uh, attribute bonus, and the I like that an awful lot because it means that characters who have, you know, their their attributes play into those contested dice rolls. It ha- they're, they're meaningful going forward in the game, and. Um, that's cool. I like that a lot, you know. Um, and it uh, it came up. It actually came up quite handily in one of our games because one of the characters uh, who was a uh, quite a stealthy little gnome guy, he was much harder to spot by the NPCs uh, than what the rest of the characters were. Uh, and it's because by virtue of this massive bonus he had, and then you also have your skill playing a role in that as well because the, you are more likely to, uh, well, not more likely, but you are, uh, you have a bigger range of tens digits that can actually succeed. So taken together, it makes for a really clever a way of, of doing contested rolls. I like it a lot. And then if you factor in the flipping thing as well, too, that's another way of, you know, uh, of um, affecting the, um, the the contested rolls, too. So there's, there's some fun um, dice mechanics that are at play in the game that I think are, are pretty elegant and work pretty well at the table. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. We did have one character nearly die. Uh, they have a mechanic called... There's two different, um, like, uh, meta... What is it? Uh, uh, narrative metacurrency uh, in the game. One of them is uh, the fortune points, which you can spend... They're a group pool that you can spend to re-roll uh, dice. And then the... Uh, you also have one called the. Um, oh, and I also like how the advan- how uh, aid another works in this too. It's not it's not quite as as uh, impressive I think as the the way that uh, modern age works it, but it's uh, it's still pretty darn cool. Where if you got a skill rank in it, you can aid another person, and then you the player can pick whichever of the tens digits of the different characters who are rolling uh, that they want to use. So that's cool. It's another way of kind of doing a sort of advantage, but also providing some kind of restriction on who can actually participate in the stuff. I, I like that a lot. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so the fortune points lets you re-roll dice, and there's some other things you can do with it. Um, you also can, you have something called fate points. Fate points are a lot harder to come by, and fate points basically don't let you die, not die or ignore a specific 
uh, wound, and the wounds are, sorry, is it injury or wound? A specific wound. And what a wound is, is different from your, no, sorry, an injury. The fucking nomenclature in this game. Oof. That's one thing that's a little confusing. Um, an injury is what you would consider a wound in a lot of other games. What I would consider a wound in, in other games. It's a specific type of injury that has a specific effect on your character. The wounds is just how many how many ticks down on the the wound spiral thing that you you find yourself. So, um, but I, I uh, you can also spend a fate point to ignore a specific in. See, I'm already forgetting it again. A specific injury. And that's clever, I think. And I guess the other thing I, I should say about Zweihander also is that I just uh, recently had um, some orders from print-on-demand stuff show up from uh, DriveThruRPG, and uh, it included... They've got these really good um, like monster cards, which are all the monsters in the in the core rulebook, which is a lot. It's like 138 or something. Um, so monster cards with the monsters in the front and stats in the back. Uh, there's a Game Master Playmat, which is like, um, you know, the, all the qualities of the weapons, all the uh, traits of the, of the monsters, and then a bunch of other stuff too, some critical hit tables. I got the DM screen, which has all the other stuff in there, actual point costs and so forth. Uh, and I got uh, spell cards uh, from it as well too. So I, I'm a sucker for good accessories in, a, in an RPG, and fuck, these are really cool. Really, really cool. Like, they look very much... The tarot card size, they look very much like... Um, the magic cards in particular look like tarot cards. they got these really awesome illustrations that are appropriate for each... Either each faith for the, the divine ones or each um, uh, school for the uh, arcane ones. Um, and what we decided to do, we're going to do is we're going to finish up our, our adventure we're on right now. And then we're going to... While it's still in this quarter, we're going to create new characters that are higher tier. So the second tier characters... And then see what life life is like for those characters at a, at a higher tier. I'm also going to let the players take whatever gear they want uh, so we can see what kind of, you know, the, the range from starting off to kind of, you know, well-equipped, seasoned adventurers look like in it. Um, overall, I, I like the sensibilities of Zweihander definitely uh, suit the what, what I like. Um, it, I, I like it... Um, in terms of the setting, like, because it doesn't really have a setting, it's got three sort of quasi-settings that are suggested in the, in the core rulebook, but there's not really a setting baked in. I love that because I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I mentioned this on, on the Discord server before, but the, like I was a, a fan of Warhammer Fantasy first when it, when it came out. I love that rulebook. So I read it to the point where the spine fell off on it. And I, I ran it a fair amount of times, not, not for length of, not for any extended campaigns, uh, but for one-offs and whatnot. And I, and I loved, yeah, I love that book. Still do. I mean, it's, I think it's a, a really terrific uh, core rulebook in terms of like having so much stuff in one, uh, you know, one place. Um, but the thing I, I liked in particular about that rulebook. I never followed forward. I didn't get any of the supplements. I didn't get any of the um, extra things for it. I didn't I didn't play the tabletop miniatures game. So I didn't read any of the novels. So I'm not really vested like invested in the uh, in the setting all that much. But the old world in the time since that first game came out and the present, it's it's really built up so there is a sense of what the world is. And it is really interesting. Like I like I, I find it an interesting world, but I also find it very fucking constraining. Uh, particularly because it, it, it's got so much written out as what is canon. For a streamer, it's, it's really easy to, to draw the ire of 
uh, of people who are, you know, experts or whatever, or at least really invested in the in the setting, who will be pointing out things that were, you know, you said or did or whatnot that are like, well, no, this is the case, this is the case. And sometimes those are very helpful. Uh, in, like, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this is the way things are with blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they're presented with more of a, you know, well, actually, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. And I... I I'm not really super concerned about comments from from you know com- from uh, people commenting on our streamed games, uh, but it's just a yeah, I, I don't like having to feel an obligation, however minor, to try and you know quote unquote get it right. Uh, I just I don't really give a shit about uh, fidelity to a setting in in my games. I run my games because I want to uh, um, I want to make a good adventure and have a good time with it. Uh, so. Um, I, yeah, that is my, um, what do you call it? That is my, uh, uh, one of the reasons why I like having no setting with uh, Zweihander as opposed to uh, the other. So, so anyway, that is the uh, state of play. I haven't played anything else since then, but uh, that's the state of play currently. And Annabelle saying howdy, howdy. Okay. And I think that is, um, everything I've got. I've had some more thoughts about, uh, campaign planning uh, as well in the interim, but I think I'll just save that for another episode rather than try and append it to uh, to this one. So, um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns regarding the episode, please don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a voice message on Anchor. Uh, you can reach me by Twitter at Dungeon Musings. You can uh, reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com, and uh, you can also reach me uh, on the Dungeon Musings Discord server, and you can find a link to that on any of the recent videos on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Uh, thanks again, folks. I uh, hope the uh, my comments on uh, campaign planning are helpful in your own campaigns. Until you see you again, happy gaming.